When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. To dissect is to broaden the Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed in medical school. And now here's your host, Patrick Beeman. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. I am Patrick Beeman, your host. Today, it's another entry in ITB's audio blog series powered by Med School Tutors. Uh, as I've said before, Med School Tutors has the best medical education blog on the internet. So you can find the link to the articles we will read here in the show notes. This is especially important in this one because there is an EKG in the second article, which will be described in the vignette. But of course, it's always best or at least better to be able to actually interpret the clinical finding presented as it might be on the exam. Before we get into all of this, just would like to say, not to sound grandiose, but in one respect, I'm becoming like the Elon Musk of the medical education podcasting space because uh, I keep over-promising and kind of under-delivering. I'll be honest, I get kind of ambitious on timelines. Um, my partners in ITB, Stuart, and uh, the rest of the team will probably agree. But I said that we would be having the Step 2 Study Smarter series over on our Study Smarter channel starting early November. Uh, that's going to be delayed a little bit uh, just due to some scheduling errors and needing to redo the channel to make it more of a combined step one and step two slash shelf exam practice question breakdown uh, podcast. So expect a couple delays on that, and I'm sorry. Um, but definitely, as far as that Elon Musk reference goes, do I have nowhere near as much money, influence, or infamy as he does. At any rate, let's get into today's content. First of these articles, Reasoning Through Multi-Step USMLE and Shelf Exam Questions by David Lerner. Here we go. USMLE and Shelf Exam questions that involve two or three steps can be challenging. They often require reading a convoluted clinical anecdote before reasoning through several steps to arrive at the correct answer choice. 
While these questions may seem daunting, you can utilize a consistent approach that will simplify the process of answering these difficult questions. So step by step, here it goes. Step one, break it down. The first step to approaching a multi-level question is to break it down into its components. Trying to solve each component all at once often leaves you vulnerable to making silly mistakes. For example, a clinical anecdote might describe a patient who presents with recent weight loss, heat intolerance, sweating, and proptosis with a decreased TSH found on laboratory testing. A typical USMLE question following this anecdote might be, Antibodies to which of the following proteins underlies this patient's clinical condition? Questions like this one require you to answer at least one underlying problem before beginning to address the actual question. So let's break down each step of our first question. We can't guess what the autoantibody might be without knowing the condition, and taking a look at all of the answer choices before thinking it over can be distracting. So Before moving on to selecting an answer, we should address the underlying issue, which is, what is the clinical condition presented in this anecdote? Graves' disease seems like the most likely disease, especially given that the question tells us an autoantibody is involved in the pathogenesis. All right, so we made that diagnosis first. Step two, rephrase the question. After breaking down the question and answering the underlying problems, we can use them to tackle the actual questions. I have found it most helpful to rephrase the question based on the answer from the previous step. For example, the question then becomes, antibodies to which of the following proteins underlies Graves' disease? A much simpler problem that will lead us to look for TSH receptor among the given answer choices. Rephrasing becomes even more useful in the case of a three-step question, such as the pathogenesis of this patient's condition is most analogous to which condition. Using the same clinical vignette of Graves' disease, our second step will be to address what is the etiology of this patient's clinical condition, which in our case is a type 2 hypersensitivity reaction against the TSH receptor. Having addressed the first two steps, we can finally rephrase the question as which of the following conditions is a type 2 hypersensitivity reaction. In this way, the problem is simplified into the single step of selecting a type 2 hypersensitivity reaction from the answer choices. Multi-step questions are difficult, not only because of the additional knowledge required to tackle the problem, but also because they necessitate a more extensive thought process. By utilizing a consistent approach of first breaking down and then rephrasing the question, you won't get tripped up on the way to answering problems you already know the answer to. All right, so that's the first article. Now let's apply the two-step process of breaking down the vignette and then rephrasing the question or interrogatory with another article from the Med School Tutors blog. This article is a USMLE question breakdown cardiac causes of syncope. And just a reminder, look in the show notes for a link to the full article, which has some more content than can be presented in audio. Syncope is a common topic for a USMLE Step 2 CK question vignette because it has a wide differential diagnosis with endless possibilities for test questions based on pathology, diagnostic workup, and management. The question below highlights the reasoning needed to solve a complex three-step question similar in style to the questions you will see on an actual exam. And because the advice from our friends at Med School Tutors, principally with Dr. Brian Radovansky, 
who discussed uh, some of these question breakdown articles in two July episodes of the ITB podcast, highly worth checking out, is to read the interrogatory first. I will do that. So the interrogatory, which of the following medications would be contraindicated in this patient? So keep that in mind as we read the vignette. A 28-year-old male presents to the ED after a witnessed syncopal event. He was drinking coffee when he noted sudden onset palpitations and dizziness preceding his sudden collapse. The patient regained consciousness after several seconds and did not display any confusion following the event. He denies any bowel or bladder incontinence and observers did not notice any abnormal movements. His past medical history is unremarkable and he is not on any medications. An EKG done in the emergency department is shown below, and since I can't show that, I will describe it. An EKG performed in the emergency department shows a shortened PR interval and a slurred Q wave, or delta wave. Which of the following medications would be contraindicated in this patient? Is it A, amiodarone, B, adenosine, C, procainamide, or D, warfarin? The patient in this question has Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, a condition in which an accessory pathway allows for direct electrical communication between the atria and ventricles that bypasses the AV node. As such, drugs like adenosine that act to slow the AV node are contraindicated because they could worsen symptoms by allowing the accessory pathway to act unopposed. But let's break this down further. Again, this is a classic example of a three-step question you will see on an exam like the USMLE Step 2 CK. The first step involves making the correct diagnosis. In this question, we are dealing with syncope in the setting of palpitations, which can have a very wide differential diagnosis. The diagnosis will be made through correct interpretation of the EKG. And here, note that the patient has a shortened PR interval and a slurred Q wave or delta wave that is pathognomonic for Wolf-Parkinson-White. The second part of this question asks you to identify which medication would be contraindicated in this patient. This requires two separate pieces of knowledge, the pathophysiology of Wolf-Parkinson-White and the mechanism of action for each drug. In Wolf-Parkinson-White, two pathways of conduction exist. The traditional pathway where impulses travel from the SA node through the AV node to the ventricles, causing depolarization, and an accessory pathway that bypasses the AV node, directly connecting the atria and ventricles. Impulses traveling down this accessory pathway can cause premature ventricular contractions, resulting in supraventricular tachycardia, which can lead to syncope, as seen in this patient. Finally, let's look at each medication. Amiodarone. It prolongs phase 3 of the cardiac action potential. Adenosine. Causes transient block of the AV node. Procainamide blocks sodium channels to prolong the cardiac action potential and slow conduction. Warfarin is a vitamin K antagonist and anticoagulant. From looking at the answer choices, we can conclude that a drug like adenosine that blocks action at the AV node would lead to unopposed action of the accessory pathway and could worsen the symptoms of Wolf-Parkinson-White. Meanwhile, medications like amiodarone and procainamide that slow conduction by prolonging the action potential could be used to inhibit this accessory pathway. Warfarin would have no role in treating this patient, but it is often used for anticoagulation 
in patients with atrial fibrillation or atrial flutter. So there you have it, another entry in ITB's audio blog series powered by our friends at Med School Tutors. Remember, if you are struggling with your examination strategy stuff, um, maybe you failed an exam, maybe you want an extra edge and uh, need help kind of uh, with coaching in terms of how to study effectively, go to medschooltutors.com. Get matched with an experienced tutor who can help you stay on track and achieve your med school dreams. With med school tutors, your better starts now. I mean, better starts now is like their tagline. You see what I did there? Um, <laughs> at any rate, um, check the show notes for info on our All Audio QBank, where to find our Study Smarter Series podcast. Uh, which is focused on question breakdowns like this one, step one content there now, step two content and shelf exam content to come shortly. And please share ITB with your friends, hit subscribe on your podcatcher so you don't miss an episode. Also, leave a review on iTunes. It helps us in our rankings and to get the message that we are out there to provide you high yield med ed for free. See you back in a week, I guess. Um, until then, happy studying. But, oh, how rich the soil. Thanks one more time to Rao Reynolds and Enter Shikari for letting us use the song The One True Color off 2015's The Mind Sweep. I think this is the third song we've used as bump music for the podcast. So please check out entershikari.com.